This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 7th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. The push to build a wall separating the United States from Mexico will sour relations between the two, but it won't stop a trade and immigration. It will include dividing communities that exist on both sides. Dan Griswold, a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center, discusses the costs and benefits. Donald Trump has long said he would like to build a, build a wall. It is the signature element of his presidential campaign in 2016. Seems so long ago now, doesn't it? Um, and Mexico is the number three trading partner of the United States. We have, uh, you know, billions, tens of billions of dollars that uh, go through individual ports in uh, at the border in. Uh, between Mexico and the United States. And what is the impact that you see of constructing, or I should say, continuing construction, finishing construction of a wall between the U.S. and Mexico? Uh, President Trump took the first concrete step. He signed an, an executive order to start building the wall, and he has that authority given to him by Congress, uh, it's going to be a colossal waste of taxpayer dollars. And we're going to have to pay for it up front, of course. Uh, And I think we'll pay for it eventually in lots of different ways. Maybe one of the least costs is going to be the 15 to $25 billion it would cost to build a, an actual wall, the 1,900 miles uh, of the border, and it's completely unnecessary. Um, you know, we have we have largely secured the border. We already have 650 miles of fencing. Uh, we have increased the number of border agents there in the last 25 years exponentially, like six times uh, what what they were. We've got drones and uh, cameras up on blimps and all sorts of things, and it's much harder to cross the border. The smuggling fees have gone up uh, significantly. And then, of course, uh, immigration from Mexico, illegal immigration from Mexico is rapidly disappearing as an issue. Uh, Mexico has continued to evolve economically and create opportunities at home, in large part because of NAFTA. Um, Their birth rate has been declining significantly. To, To Caleb, we're at the point where uh, the net migration from Mexico is negative. There's more Mexicans in the United States going back to Mexico than coming here. And to the extent that uh, illegal border crossings, illegal immigrants coming into the United States is an economic indicator, it's strongly correlated with the U.S. having a strong economy. C- correct. Yeah, they come here because there are jobs. Uh, but with Mexico in particular, uh, our economy isn't all that strong, certainly not as strong as it was you know, 15 years ago in the late 90s. Mexico's economy has stabilized and, can, and their middle class uh, is growing. The, the illegal population is shifting. It's still about half Mexicans, uh, but it's shifting uh, more towards Central Americans, but also Asians. And of course, uh, they don't come across the southeast border. For, 40% of the illegal immigrants in the United States didn't sneak across the border. They came in legally and then overstayed their visas. Well, I don't care how high the wall is. That's not going to keep those folks out. So, one, the wall is completely unnecessary. And then it's going to cause huge damage beyond the costs. I mean, just think of the the physical challenge. It's, it's pretty easy to build a barrier across the desert southwest, and that's where the 650 miles of fencing is largely. But think half our border with Mexico is the Rio Grande River. Uh, and that's very rugged uh, territory. And by the way, most of the land along the river is either private property, 
parkland or native tribal lands. And so, one, you're going to have a gross violation of private property. Of course, President Trump has no uh, scruples about using eminent domain to trample private property rights. We've seen that uh, in in the past. Uh, but we're gonna, are we going to be building fences on on parkland? Uh, have we talked to the tribes about it? Who do have some say <laughs> in their in their in their land? And and think of it: if you can't build the wall down the middle of the river, uh, you've got to build it on the U.S. side, somewhat removed from the river. We're basically cutting ourselves off from access to the Rio Grande River. In effect, ceding scenic, uh, useful, important land uh, and turning it into a, a no man's land. So you add all that up and then finally insisting that Mexico pay for the wall is poisoning U.S.-Mexican relations. Our, our neighbor with 128 million people, Donald Trump's doing more than anybody to unite Mexicans in anti-American feelings and reviving uh, a past that I thought we'd put behind us. When I spoke with uh, Beto O'Rourke, he is a Democratic congressman who represents El Paso, Texas, and of course across the river is Ciudad Juarez. And uh, he says, look, that's, it's one city. People live in one country. They work in the other country. It is one sort of cohesive community. And in turn, you talk about poisoning relations. Well, there it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been to El Paso. I've been to Laredo. I've walked across the border in, in, in Laredo. And, and that's right. You've got people crossing the border every day to shop, uh, to work. Um, the people down at the border who you'd think would be the most concerned about these issues that are supposedly driving the wall they're the most against it uh, because they understand what it'll mean to to U.S. Uh, Mexican relations. I've been to Monterrey, uh, Mexico, which is calls itself the NAFTA city. They've got a per capita income that's more than twice the national average because of NAFTA. They're very concerned about this. Of course, the president of Mexico had to cancel a trip to the United States uh, because of this. And as you mentioned, they're they're our third largest trading partner, our second largest export market, um, and all sorts of U.S. goods, from manufactured goods to agricultural goods to, to services. And then, uh, yes, we do have a trade deficit with Mexico, but I think imports are good. Uh, we benefit as consumers uh, with those imports. And, and of the typical import from Mexico, 40% of the value is U.S. content. U.S. parts uh, and other things that have gone over to Mexico, been put into final products and are, are sold back here. All that seems to be put in jeopardy by talk of a 20% tariff or 35% tariffs on U.S. companies that relocate there. And, and just go back 30 years, Mexico uh, turned away from the failed Latin American model of import substitution, of you know hostility to American imperialism and all that, and they embrace the North American model of deregulated open markets. They now have not only a growing middle class, but a vibrant, clean, competitive, multi-party democracy. Uh, and they're close friends and allies of the United States. And what's our reward? We're our government, our federal government, the, this administration seems to be doing everything it can to alienate the Mexicans. That's one of the things that is the most forgotten in uh, discussions about trade right now. About half of what the U.S. imports is stuff that Americans use to make other stuff, often for export. And 
in the case of Mexico, you just said that 40% uh, of what we export to them are intermediate goods, these sort of not quite finished products. Caleb, you're absolutely right. And, and the automobile industry is a perfect example of that, isn't it? You know, what NAFTA has given us is a competitive, integrated North American automobile industry. Uh, and very much to the benefit of U.S. automakers, and I'm not just talking about the Detroit automakers, but you know the the internationally owned automakers uh, ac- across the South, Nissan and Toyota and, and uh, BMW, and and those. What has the NAFTA era done for them? Uh, it's made them globally competitive. You know, last year we exported a record 2.6 million automobiles uh, to the rest of the world from the United States. Uh, automobile output is basically double what it was before NAFTA, and that's just not only final assemblies, but uh, auto parts, uh, record uh, profits uh, for automobile companies. Now, they don't employ as many workers, uh, and of course, that's got the United Auto Workers uh, Union uh, upset, but they don't employ as many workers because they're so much more productive and so competitive. Uh, And so, if we withdraw from NAFTA, if we continue down this confrontational road with the Mexicans, uh, it's going to hurt them. Uh, it's going to sour them on, on the United States, uh, but it's going to hurt us. It's going to hurt American workers, American consumers, and it's going to be a big setback for U.S. foreign policy as, as well. And in, in this world, shouldn't we be trying to make friends instead of alienating uh, our friends by picking needless fights? We can see in prices, uh, product prices of going up, uh, products that we buy. But what contributes to the final price of a product or a service that we might buy is largely invisible. Is there a way that that you can imagine that we can make government policy visible in the final prices that we pay for products so that? individual consumers are confronted with policy decisions and say, well, you know, you're paying more for this product because of uh, a trade war that has been undertaken between the United States and Mexico. Um, Well, you put your finger on on a challenge for those of us who support free trade and more open markets, right? The the downside of trade, and I don't even think it's a downside, it's just a, a reality that some factories do close. Uh, that's visible, right? The politicians latch on to that and say, because of the trade agreement, this factory's closing. But, uh, what is less visible is all the opportunities being created for exports through foreign investment uh, for Americans. But uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, one of the biggest benefits of trade is lower prices for consumers. By the way, particularly for low-income consumers, right? They spend the highest share of their income on food, clothing, footwear, these necessities of, of, of life. Studies show that they they are, are the biggest beneficiaries of free trade. And by the way, they'll be the biggest losers of a trade war. And that's where we get to your very good point. Uh, if we engage in a trade war with Mexico or China, uh, that's going to be a regressive tax on the poorest American households. And I, I'm not one for regulation and labeling, but it would be kind of fun to have a label on things saying you're paying 20% more because of these tariffs and these uh, regulations. I guess that just shows the importance of uh, think tanks like Cato, research centers like Mercatus Center. We help to educate uh, the public and policymakers on the sometimes hidden but very real 
cost of protectionism, and that cost is far greater than any benefits to the special interests that seek protection. Dan Griswold is a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.